And so this morning we're going to talk to you about this idea from dust to beautiful glory. I'm going to be sharing in the book of Genesis and Ecclesiastes, and hopefully this blesses your heart and it does something for you like it did for me when, and when God just poured it into my spirit overnight in my sleep and then this morning. So here's one of the things I've come to realize about life. There, there are seasons in life that include both good times and bad times. The list, there's a list of contrasts that we could go through over and over. We go through mountaintop experiences and we go through valley experiences. And I don't know if anybody's ever been on one back to back. If anybody ever experienced a mountaintop followed immediately by a valley and the difficulty that it is to make that transition down and then back up. I'll share one really quickly. I went to Israel in 2014. It was one of the best years of our lives. The church celebrated one year uh, in existence, and it was an amazing service that we had. And then literally that morning at 6 a.m., I caught a flight to Israel, and, and then I spent 10 days in Israel, and it was a mountaintop experience, like just I mean, I, the greatest, one of the greatest worship moments of my entire life was spent, I actually was participated in a worship service on a boat in the Sea of Galilee. Now, if you have any kind of theological background and understand what that, that, that was a mountaintop experience. And then I'd come back to Peoria, and how many know Peoria, Illinois is not the Sea of Galilee? Right, so I'd come back to Peoria, and I love this city. I mean, I'm in love with the city of Peoria. My, so much so that my plan is to never leave this city. And so, so, my, so I'm, I'm at this mountaintop experience. I come back to this valley that is reality of life, and it was so difficult. I had a hard two or three days to get back into the swing of this is not a sustainable life, that we have to live in this place that's reality. It's not always the valley, but it's definitely not the mountaintop. So we have all these experiences. We go through success. We go through failures. We have wins and we have losses. You know, it's just like the weather. There are four seasons in the weather. But in your life, there are dozens and dozens and dozens of seasons, different seasons. And so we're going to talk about that. I set that up just for a moment. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But this idea of being going from dust to beautiful glory comes from Genesis chapter 2, verse number 7 and 8. And this is what the Bible says. This is creation. Going back to creation, the Bible says in Genesis chapter 2, verse number 7, then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. Then the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he placed the man he had made. Okay, so the Lord, formed, Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground. Then he breathed breath of, the breath of life into this man's nostrils. And so as is customary for me in my preaching and what I like to do in my study I want to look at this passage of scripture, break it down a little bit so that you can see some understanding as to what this actually means when you're coming from the dust. The idea of being formed, this word literally means to fashion like a potter with a clay or like a seamstress to fashion together, meaning a potter and a seamstress, the one thing that they have in common is they pay attention, meticulous attention to detail. 
If you're if you're if you're may if you're a, if you're a potter and you're making a piece of clay, if you're taking a piece of clay and turning it into a pot, you have to pay attention to every single curve. You got to make sure that every curve is perfect. You have to make sure the lines are perfect, that the shape because if it starts to get out of balance, anybody ever do any pottery before on a pottery wheel? It gets out of it's really hard to do. And it gets out of balance and what happens? It just starts flipping clay all over the place, right? So there's this perfect, delicate balance to creating a pot for the potter, and oftentimes God has been referred to as the potter, and we are the clay in Scripture, and so the idea of being formed literally means to be, fas- to be fashioned together, and when I think about that, I think, one of the things I think about, I think about is fashion. When people who are in the fashion industry, they're paying meticulous attention to detail. Anybody ever watch one of those fashion shows? I mean, they, these judges are watching every little detail of what this person has created to wear. Well, that's what that little word means. When he says he formed man, he paid attention to every little detail about you when he made you. Every detail, every curve, every line, everything that would be you, he paid attention to. Then it says that he formed God formed man from the dust of the ground. This idea of dust from the ground, it literally means loose, dry dirt. So before anybody gets too high and mighty in who they think they are, just remember, you are a beautifully made, well-paid-attention-to-detail dirt bag. Just being real with you. We are all... Dirt bags. Nobody else's dirt is cleaner than anybody else's dirt. It's still just dirt. And all dirt is dirty dirt. And that's who you are. That's who I am. We are well-fashioned, paid to close, meticulous attention, dirt bags. So I, I oftentimes like to use that. I've used that in a little different context, but especially as it relates to how we might puff ourselves up from time to time and think we are somewhere where we're really not or someone who we really aren't and so it's like a humbling thing for me when I start to feel like oh yeah I'm accomplishing something God puts this gentle reminder in the back of my head sometimes it's a very physical reminder in my forehead to say hey bro I got this but I am fashioned from dirt that I am just a dirt bag but a beautiful one because that's his word so then he says he breathed the breath of life The breath of God. It literally means a forceful breath. Like he forcefully breathed life into you. It's the same association as when the Bible talks about the wind of God. When the wind of God blows, it's the same reference in Genesis when he breathed life. So he breathed literally his spirit right into you. So he fashioned you. He formed you from dirt and then he imparted his spirit in you to give you life this is the dust of the earth when we are formed from dust this is the image of dust then the bible says he went and created this beautiful garden he created the garden of eden and the word eden literally means a place of pleasure and delight so he created this beautiful dirt bag and put him in a place of beauty and a place of delight. It was created for man. 
See, here's what you have to understand about the context of creation. The Garden of Eden, this beautiful place, this delightful place, this perfect place was created for man. God looked at you in such a way and said, you are so worthy that I am placing you in this beautiful, perfect, delightful place where everything flourished, trees flourished, everything was perfect and beautiful and delightful. Because we walk around in life far too often thinking I'm not worthy. And I hate that phrase with a passion. Because if I, if I, what I'm saying is, God, you created me in such a messy way that I don't feel like I'm worthy. And that's not what God wants you to think of yourself. He created you in such a way to say, not only are you worthy of this beauty that I've placed you in, but you're worthy of my son to die for you. We have this idea to say, ah, oh, I suck. I'm not any good. I'm ugly. I'm not worthy. I've got no talent. I've got no skill. I've got, and all we do at that point is tell God, you screwed up. And the reality is, he fashioned you. Every detail, every small, everything about you, your personality. Let me tell you something. The part of your personality that irritates the daylights out of your spouse, your mother, your sister, your kids, he made it that way. Why? Because he has a purpose in redeeming all of you. There's a lot about my personality that I love, and there's a lot about my personality that I'm oftentimes like, God, how does that fit in the idea of this beauty that you created? Because Lord knows it's not easy. And so that is the reality. And so it's, it's more than just that when it comes to the Garden of Eden, and it comes to the beautiful place that he created for you. There were four rivers that flowed out of the garden, four of them. And I'm not going to preach them in depth. This is too much depth to give you in just a 35-minute, 40-minute message. I don't know who am I kidding. I don't ever preach 35 minutes. 45-minute message. But I'm going to give you a few. I'm going to give you the four, the four rivers, and I'm going to tell you a little bit about what the Bible says about each one. The first one being Pishon, P-I-S-H-O-N. It literally means an increase. So God is not a God of scarcity or lack, but God is a God of increase. And no, I'm not preaching prosperity gospel because that's not what I believe in. God does have a desire to bring increase in your life, an increase of his presence, an increase of his glory, a financial increase, a relational increase, a spiritual increase. It's his desire to increase you. And then the second river that flew out, flowed out of Eden is the word Gihon, G-I-H-O-N, Gihon. It means bursting forth. So not only did he create a river that means increase, it's not just enough to have this steady flow of increase. God says it's got to be bursting forth. That there is this increase, that there is this, this design of his that you're going to bursting forth. Fourth, if there had only been one river coming out of this full flowing, we could conclude that all God wanted was us to be in the fullness of him. But the reality is, it's not just enough to be in the fullness of God, but be bursting out with God. That's why I tell people when it comes to worship, and no, you don't have to be, I mean, as you have seen, I'm a little expressive in my worship. I'll get a little bounce in my step. I get a little hallelujah in my voice. 
And that, that's my personal worship, and not everybody worships like that, and not everybody has to worship like that. But what can I tell you about worship? This, with the scowl and everything, not worship. I'm thinking to myself, self, because that's what I call myself when I talk, about my, talk to myself. How can I perfectly, as, as best in my ability, portray my worship to the God of the universe who, who sent his son to die on a cross for my sin, and all the happy I am is this, with the scowl. Some people meditate in worship, and I think that's beautiful, and you don't have to be expressive, but there's a, there's a connection that you make in worship that there should be a bursting forth of some kind, or when you get into the room with other people and specifically non-believers, do you, do you shrink back or do you burst out? One of the things that Chick-fil-A has afforded me is an opportunity to share my faith with a lot of unbelieving folks. See, people think, oh, Chick-fil-A is a Christian, Christian-owned and operated, and it is, and I love them. They're closed on Sunday, so I don't have to work on Sunday there. I work here. But I love the place because it's such a mission field. There was a young lady who was stressed out about some situations in her life, and, and this is just last night, and I just and she's, she's a believer, and, and, and I know her pastor, and he's one of my favorite people in the world, and, and she says, she's telling me about some of these stresses, and I just told her, I said, listen, I know I don't got to tell you this because you know this. I said, but just take all those struggles, those cares, those stresses, those issues, and just, just give them to Jesus. She's like, I know. I said, just give them to Jesus. And walking by is a young man who works in the kitchen who's an unbeliever. And he's not mocking, but he's, he's 19, and he's a kid, and he says, yeah, just give it to Jesus. And I was like, and see, now, some folks could get like, oh, he just kind of pressed against me. Let me shrink back. And I'm like, nah, yeah, bro, give it to Jesus. And he just, yeah, he, and he repeats, give it to Jesus. He says, yes, give it to Jesus. Give it all to Jesus right now, bro. And he's just like, now, now that's bursting forth. That's my faith saying, this is this, is this river bursting forth to say, I'm trying to, to give something to you that you don't have and that you don't even know that you need right now. You have those opportunities every day on your job, in your house, in the community, in any parent groups that you're a part of, any play dates that your friends have. Come on, we, we all got friends that are unbelievers, every last one of us. Is that bursting forth? Is that faith bursting forth? And no, you see, the, the, here's, the, here's the argument I hear. Well, you know, my life is just not together, and, and I feel like if I, if, I, if I burst forth with my faith, then people are going to think I'm a hypocrite. Guess what? They already do. It's the standard of the thought of the world versus Christianity. Every Christian's a hypocrite. And you know what? Guess what? Every one of us in some capacity as it is viewed from the world are hypocritical because we preach love, but what do we do when, brother, when that man cuts us off on the road? I don't know about you, but love is not the words coming out of my mouth. My right foot is the one part of my body I just don't know if it's quite saved yet. But the reality is, is in some way, shape, or form, we have this hypocritical thought process in us because we know that God is love and we love, but then there's that moment, especially in a marriage, ooh, to be a fly on the wall of some of our homes in a marriage, 
somebody might think, man, that's a pastor? Uh, yep. But the reality is that this faith bursting forth has got nothing to do with what you look like or how your life is situated. It's got to do with what does your heart desire? Because while I do have an issue when someone cuts me off, my heart loves Jesus and I love that person. The reality is I'd like to say I want to rear end them so I can talk to them about Jesus. That would be a lie, but you know what? I justify it somehow. But the reality is when, it, when that faith is bursting forth of you, that's what God's desire. It's got nothing to do with you have it all together. If you wait till you have it all together, you're never going to say a word for them. Because I've been doing this for 20 plus years and I don't have any of it figured out. Man, I spent too much time on that river. I just flowed with it. It did, bro. It did. The third river that you can find in the Garden of Eden is this river called Tigris, or in some, some places it's Hedekel. It's actually the same river. And it words, it's, 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 this word literally means it's rapid. So the word picture, to Hebrew, the Hebrew language has word pictures. If you ever study the Hebrew language, there's word pictures that go along with a lot of stuff. The word picture for this particular word in the Hebrew language is that of an arrow, a swift arrow in flight is the word picture. It's not an arrow in the quiver. It's not an arrow still in the bow. It's a swift arrow in flight. But here's what you have to know about the swift arrow that's in flight. My thought is when I see this, nobody just takes a bow, draws it back, and shoots. What's the first thing they do? They take aim. So they draw this bow back with this arrow in it, and they take aim. And that swift arrow is targeted and headed somewhere specific. God has a target in a specific place that he's trying to send you. And so this increase that he's bringing you and this bursting forth of your faith has got a purpose and a direction attached to it. Maybe for some of you it's this, it's standing in front of people and preaching the gospel. Maybe for some of you it's getting into a local elementary school and reading to little kids. Maybe for some of you it's found at the front door greeting people and making, you're letting your smile be what welcomes them into the house of God. Because how many times have you walked into the house of God Broken, hurting, depressed, failing, feeling like a failure as a husband, as a wife, as a mother, as a father, as a believer. And then you walk in and you encounter someone who has this just beautiful, wonderful smile. And it just all of a sudden, some of those things just melt away. Man, that's, that's a gift that God has given some of you. And there's a purpose. He, is, he has this swift arrow fire that has a purpose. And it's aimed at a target. And it's got a goal in sight. And the last river you find in the Garden of Eden is the Euphrates. Here's what I love about the Euphrates River. The word Euphrates literally means fruitfulness. And so here's what I realized when I put that together. If we have the first three rivers flowing in our life, if we have this fullness, if we have this overflow and this bursting out and we have this targeted purpose guess what is a result of those three fruitfulness fruitfulness is not connected to every word you say or every action that you have fruitfulness is is connected to how much do you follow in the will of God for your life that's what fruitfulness is connected to you know just because I have a moment where I failed doesn't mean that I'm not bearing fruit just because I've had a moment where I've said something or thought something or done something that I probably shouldn't have said, felt, or thought, or done, doesn't mean I'm not bearing fruit. It just means I'm human. 
And God's design and plan was to use that flawed human to bring about his glory and build his kingdom. So we are fashioned in the dust of the earth, but we are meant for a beautiful glory. And there's a season coming, and I think for some, a season already here, that that's exactly where you're headed. And for that, I'm going to have you turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. See, as we talk about this thing that I mentioned in the beginning of season, Ecclesiastes is one of the best passages of Scripture you can turn to when it talks about season. And so I'm going to read verse 11 because that's the crux of what I'm wanting to get with you. I'm going to share a couple of thoughts from that verse, and then I'm going to read the the context to you. So Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse number 11. The Bible says, Yet God has made everything beautiful, there it is, for its own time. He has planted eternity in the human heart, but even so, People cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. So a couple of quick thoughts from that passage, and then I'll give you some context. Is That word made, when he says God has made everything, that word made is an absolute act with a goal that is accomplished. So when God made you, when God made everything beautiful, it was an accomplished goal. And that word beautiful, I'm going to give it to you what it actually means so that this context sits in your head. Because some people say, and it's not untrue, it's very true, it's just not true of this passage of scripture because I've heard it preached. Well, beauty lies on the inside. And beauty is in the eye of the beholder. And all those things are true. But in this passage of scripture, the word beautiful literally means it's related to its appearance. It's related to what I see, not what I feel, not what I sense, but what I actually see. This reference only appears 43 times in the Old Testament, and every single time it appears, it is talking about an outward beauty. What I see. It's related to beautiful woman is the largest appearance of this scripture. When it talks about women and the beauty of a woman, it's, it's also the same one when they said, called David, ruddy but handsome when David was referred as ruddy but handsome that word handsome is the same word that is used here in Ecclesiastes it's always about an outward appearance matter of fact one of the references is the beauty of his eyes when referred to the eyes of a person in Psalms and so here's the reality there's an outward beauty that God has already made and he's made everything beautiful so every last one of you sitting in this place, woo, y'all fine. Y'all beautiful. Because that's what he said you are. He said he made everything beautiful. So why does that matter? You know, God desires for us to have a pure heart, but he has created us beautiful. God desires that even in a season, when the season isn't beautiful, you can fully trust that, guess what? It will be beautiful. And so let's look at Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 through 8 for some context here. Talks about seasons. Just backing up a few verses. 
The Bible says in, verse, in chapter 3, verse number 1, For everything there is a season, a time for every activity under heaven. Not everything you do should be done when you're doing it. Because there's a season for that. There's a season as there's a time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to harvest. Now that's just, that, that's, that's obvious. We are humans. We will be, we have been born. We're all here. So we've already been born. That season's over. But we will all die at some point. Death is a part of life. It just is what it is. Embrace it because it's coming. Live your life bursting out with that faith. And see what Jesus does with it. But there's not just a time for you physically to be born and to die. There's a time for things that God has in your life to be born. And a time for them to die. We have spiritual seasons as well. We have will of God seasons as well. There are things that God has called us to do. That he says I am birthing this in you. And the goal is that it comes to completion. And when it's completed it dies. There are some things in our lives that got to die. We've been riding and beating that horse for so long. It's just not working. It's the idea, the image I get in my head is the idea of, okay, I've got this horse. He's an old, old horse. He doesn't want to gallop anymore. He's tired. He's ready for the shoe factory. It's like, I'm just done. And we take our whip and we're just pounding that horse trying to get it to go faster stop beating a dead horse it's time to get off dismount god's got another one for you that's how he functions that's how he operates there's a time to plant and a time to harvest let me tell you if you want to know what the time to plant and a time to harvest is it's very simple if there's something that you need from god in your life plant because you will harvest at some point you're not going to harvest what you have not planted that's how that works. In order to harvest and reap, you have to plant something. That's, that's it. I can't, I can't stand here and declare the glory and the favor of God. You wanna, let me tell you, you want to know why all of y'all and some other folks and some other people, you want to know why that kid's room is up and running? Because I'm, I'm just going to tell you, God gave us, my wife and I, a vision for it. We've already planted and continue to plant and continue to plant. And now we're harvesting some of the stuff we planted. And it took you planting to make that happen. Your time, your money. Now your harvest will be coming. From, this is how the process works. A farmer sowed seed in a field so that what? So he can harvest a crop and he can, and he can receive the crop of what he has sowed. I used to think farming was crazy. You see these guys out there working in dirt. Sun up to sundown, and nowadays past sundown because these big giant combines got so many lights on it, it's almost daylight in the farm field. And so they're, they're just working, and I'm like, man, they work so hard, and when they're done, they rest, and their field is just a bunch of dirt. It's like, what have you, I just, it's like, wow, and I, I'm a city boy, so farming to me was really weird. And so I'm like, wow, this is crazy, and then all of a sudden, months later, some of this harvest in the corn in the, in the Midwest gets taller than me. It's like, wow. And then with, the right, with all the right seasoning involved, they reap such a harvest. The same as with God. There's a, time, there's a time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build up. A time to cry and a time to laugh. 
a time to grieve and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather stones, a time to embrace and a time to turn away, a time to search and a time to quit searching, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be quiet (laughs) and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. There's a season and a time for everything that you will ever experience in life. And in order to be, enter into this beautiful glory that God has, there has to be an understanding of the season you're in. So I'm going to share this with a couple of more thoughts, and then I'm going to, I want you to hear a song, the song that had birthed this message and the song that God had dropped in my spirit for me to worship to for a while. And if I can have at that point during that song, if um, my worship team could come and set themselves to close us out. You don't have to come now. You can come during that song. But life is a combination of contrasting seasons. All sunshine and no rain makes a dry desert. We all want sunshine as a season. But we fail when we have nothing but sun and no rain. We just become dry like the desert. If you're following God's will, I mean, if you're really trying to live your life according to the way God wants you to live, then all these experiences have meaning and purpose and value in your life. What you're going through today has a value in your life. It has a purpose in your life. And the Bible says in Romans chapter 8, God works what? All things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. You've got to love God to see the, glory, the glorious purpose of what you're going through. And don't be telling me that you love God with your lips but deny him with your life on Monday. Because that ain't love. If I stood up here and declared my love for my wife but stepped out on Monday and had this person and stepped out on Wednesday and had this person and then ignored her on Friday, I'm not loving my wife. Just because I say something doesn't mean it's true. I saw, I saw a sticker on the side of a filing cabinet in a middle school when I was doing some Bible study with some young kids in a middle school after school and back in Laredo, Texas, and it's a play on action speak louder than words, but what, they, what it said spoke so loudly I've never even thought, forgot it even in all these years. It says that what you do speaks so loudly that I cannot hear what you say. What you do speaks so loudly that I cannot hear what you say. So while you think you're praising God on Sunday, but gossiping over here about so-and-so on Monday, that ain't love. And that ain't expressing my love to God. Now, like I said, no one's expecting perfection, but come on now. There's some things we all we know we just should not be doing in the moment, and there are ways out because the Bible says you will never be tempted beyond your way to escape that temptation. So you cannot... You cannot Acknowledge him on Sunday and deny him on Monday. That's not how that works. But if you are truly following after God and truly following in the will of God as, as, as best to your ability, because all of this is based on where we are in our walk with Christ. Someone who gave their life to Christ three months ago, I can't expect to give you the microphone and have you preach the message the way I'm preaching it. That's another season that we go through. 
But there is in every level of value to what we experience. And every one of those are God's will. The struggle may not be God's will. The value of the experience is God's will in every single one of those instances. You can be in God's will everywhere and anywhere you go, whether you're cleaning out your closet, mowing your lawn. I don't know how that's God's will. I don't know how that guy even got in there. I don't like to mow my lawn. I rebuke that one. <laughs> no, it's, that's reality. It's true. You can be in God's will anywhere. You can be in God's will moving to a new location or refusing to move to a new location. There are so many in everything that you say and do, you can be in God's will. There's a, there's a songwriter named Ray Stevens who wrote a song and sang a song called Everything is Beautiful in Its Own Way, and I believe he lied. Not everything is beautiful because here's the reality. Cancer is not beautiful. Child abuse is not beautiful. War is not beautiful. Racism is not beautiful. These things are not beautiful. But what comes from them can be beautiful. What is learned and what is grown and the testimony that comes from those things can be beautiful. The act itself is not the will of God, but the triumphant victory that comes after that is absolutely the will of God. And the change that it does inside of you is the will of God. And the change that it will affect in someone else is the will of God. We've got to get this perspective that says, I must be doing something wrong because everything is going wrong in my life. I look at it like this. If I go, if I pick my head up on a Sunday morning and I lay it down on a Saturday night and I have not faced any trial, I'm about to repent because I obviously wasn't living right. That's the reality of life. You're going to face it every day of your life. It's the way it works. Some of you are going through a season right now, and it's not beautiful. It's ugly. Your finances look ugly. Your health looks ugly. Your marriage or your friendship looks ugly. Your future looks ugly. But God can make something good out of every single thing that you're facing if you'll give him the pieces. You're broken and you're shattered. Give God the pieces. He's a master with puzzles. He is a master with puzzles.